Let's open our Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1. And I'll pick up reading in verse 12 after we have a prayer together. Let's bow before the Lord and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you that we can be now at this time where we need to hear from you. And we need your wisdom and your encouragement. And we know that the Bible is your word which uh, your revelation of your own mind and your own heart, your own will, your own plans, your salvation, and even instructions for how we ought to live so much more. So we come to it now, Lord God, your word. And we're going to read, and, and I pray you'd give us all just listening ears and hearts, spirits, Lord God, that are serious and focused in. Help us to love your word and to take it in as, as, as desperately needed truth which indeed it is. Show us how we ought to live and walk and, and, and minister in our lives, Lord God, before you. We thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This passage of Scripture that we have before us today comes to us in the greater context of what all of chapter 1 here is about, and that is the, the issue of trials and trouble that comes into life as a Christian. We set a little context last week when we showed you that James addresses his letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. James, as you know, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, not James the Apostle, but, but uh, James wrote this letter addressed to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, meaning Jews who were believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, James' experience, as you know, with the early church was an entirely Jewish one, as he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. 
but certainly we take everything, even as Gentiles, don't know everybody in the room, I know there are at least one or two of a, a Jewish background, but, but most of us, I think, are Gentiles, uh, we, have, um, we take this certainly very much for ourselves as well. And so the letter starts off by saying, just to review a little bit from last week, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. In other words, consider it something good because God is doing something in you. God is actually trying to produce something in you. And we talked about how trials, difficult times, they're not pleasant, but they cause you to grow when you endure a hardship. And when you learn to endure a hardship right, and we saw even in the passage of Scripture that perhaps the key thing, the most important thing, is that trials ought to cause you to turn to God. And that's what every Christian, Jew or Gentile, every person who has faith in Christ, you've come to Christ for salvation. And now, of course, what you need to do is you need to come to Christ day by day, moment by moment, experience by experience. As it says here, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? So in the trial, what we really want to do is not lash out in anger, not be overcome with frustration or, or desperation or anything like that, but, but turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. I can't even see my way through it, but Lord, give me your wisdom. Show me, Lord, how I ought to walk through this and help me, Lord, learn what it is that I ought to learn. And every Christian as we go through life, right? It's one of Christ's promises. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. So you go, and you turn to the Lord, and you ask the Lord for His strength. And that's... Now, when we get to verse 12, we're still on that subject. We're still on the subject of enduring hardship, and enduring trials, and going through trouble. It becomes a little more specifically focused, though, in verses 12 through 15, especially, does it not? Because now we're talking about one particular form of trials, which is temptation. And it's funny, the word, the word tempt, when it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, that the way the word is used in the beginning of this passage is more in a generic way. The Greek word that it's translated from basically means proving. It's a time of proving, which is why the second half of the sentence says what? For when he has been approved, right? So in other words, when, when, uh, when a man endures, when a person, a Christian endures through temptation, through testing, through a time of proving, what is there? There is blessing in that. Blessed is that person. But then as the passage progresses, the concept of being tempted becomes more like the familiar way that we're using that word, just in the modern English language that we speak, when we speak, when we speak of being tempted, we often think of like the temptation to sin that comes. And that's a very specific kind of testing. Testing of our faith can take various forms. That's why the beginning of the chapter, that's why I'm trying to tie this all together for you, the beginning of the chapter says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So it's a great big umbrella statement. There's all sorts of reasons why trouble, persecution, etc. can come into your life because of your faith. And sometimes troubles that come, listen, it says various. 
various trials. Sometimes troubles can just be the normal course of living your life and, and you're living around other people and there might be pressures that come because maybe you're, you're ministering alongside other Christians who don't quite see things exactly the same. Maybe you're, you're constantly around people who don't know the Lord and there's a certain amount of special kind of trouble that comes around. Various trials. But now here today, in this part of the passage, James focuses in on the specific kind of trial that it is to face temptation. And he says in this passage a couple of things very important about God and a couple of things that are very important about ourselves. And the bottom line of it all is that we should be encouraged by the fact that even enduring temptation brings a certain kind of strength when it's endured right and ultimately walking through life which is characterized by trouble after trouble, temptation after temptation, which seems constant because that's just the way the world is, the end result of it all is what James calls the crown of life. That is to say, we're going through, slugging through all of this hardship, but look, we're not slugging through trying to earn our way with God per se. We have been saved by His grace. And at the end of enduring all of this hardship, there is the promise of this crown of life. That is, we are crowned with eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as you go through, be encouraged as you're going through life and enduring hardship and enduring trouble, knowing that the Lord is with you and knowing what the end of it is. The end of it is the assured promise of his salvation, the crown of life. Before, so that's why the sermon title in your bulletin is, is uh, Temptation, God, and Us. Right? Because the passage talks about temptation and it says a couple very important things about God and it says a couple very important things about us. The immediate verses that led into this, I discussed this last week too, I don't want to take all my time just reviewing last week's sermon. But let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation. And we talked about how trouble, trials in life are the great equalizer of men. The rich man and the poor man may have vastly different circumstances in certain aspects of their lives because of their economic status. That's certainly true. But one thing that is exactly the same about the rich and the poor is that they face hardship and they face trouble and they face trials. And one thing that is absolutely certain and true is that we all face temptation. So this is why it says the lowly brother should glory in his exaltation because the lowly brother who doesn't have much in this world going through testing and going through trials knowing that the Lord is working in you some great and marvelous thing. It's a great lifting and elevation of your status. I may not have much, but the Lord is allowing me to be tested and tried because He's raising me up because He wants me to become something before Him that shines His glory here in this world. Whereas the rich person, perhaps from its perspective, it may, from his perspective, it may seem to be opposite. I have everything in this world, but all I find is trouble and trouble and trouble. So it may seem to bring him down a little bit. But whether it's the lowly person being brought up or the rich person being brought down, both are told what? Glory in it. 
because the difficulty and the trouble means that God is allowing, permitting something in your life that is going to work something better. God cares about you. God cares about you as his child if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, God cares about you and the proof of that is that he gave his son to die for you and he rose from the dead and you need to like humble yourself and and repent and come to Christ and receive his salvation. But if you've come to Christ and you've become a child of God, God cares about you enough that as a good father, he permits you to struggle at times and go through trials, even temptation, because he wants you to grow He wants you to grow. He wants you actually to become something here and now in this life that will display His power and glory and grace and love to the world around. Knowing that the ultimate end of it all is secure in Him. The salvation of your souls, the crown of life. So count it joy, glory in it. That's a hard thing to say to someone, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we sit here and we, we read it and we preach it and we say amen and we say praise the Lord, but where the rubber meets the road, that's a hard thing to count trials joy. To glory in being brought down or being raised up through difficulty and through trials. It's not that we glory in the struggle itself. We glory in knowing that God knows me and cares about me enough that he would allow me to struggle through something because he's perfecting me and causing me to grow. And that's how a person grows. A person grows through prayer. A person grows through learning God's word. A person grows through all these things. But never forget, it is through hardship that a person grows. All right? Now, this first sentence here, let's just kind of go verse by verse through this, as is our way. Verses 12 through 15 say, again, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, be very careful about this sentence, because it could improperly and incorrectly be read and understood to mean that if I want to have eternal life, I need to conquer every temptation. And you almost turn the gospel into something else. The gospel, of course, is a gospel of grace and a gospel of God's mercy and God's love. The gospel is not conquer this and conquer that and God will give you life. No, Jesus conquered what needed to be conquered when he died for our sins and rose from the dead. I want you to notice the sentence. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who what? Love him. Not that the Lord has promised to those who earn it by perfecting themselves. No, but the Lord has promised to those who love him. That is the response of the faithful Christian, right? Faith comes by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God, and God is just and the justifier of him who has faith in Christ Jesus. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not Abraham conquered this and conquered that, and so God gave him eternal life. Abraham believed God. He had faith, and he was justified by his faith, which Paul picks up and writes later in the book of Romans. Right? So, the reason that God allows temptation to come into our lives is to prove us. What temptation does is it perhaps reveals to us where we really are. It reveals our weakness. It reveals perhaps how much we love God. It reveals how much we trust God. It's not our salvation that's hanging in the balance that was dealt with completely when Jesus died on the cross. However... It's a testing ground. It's a proving ground. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Eternal life is the promise of God to those who trust him and love him. And facing temptation as you go through life is the proving ground of living here and now as a Christian. You understand the difference? You understand why that's so important? Blessed are those who endure, right? Because of this crown of life, which is coming after we've come through it all on the other end. How should we face temptation? Well, we should have a a confidence in God's grace. That's number one. God's grace to deliver us and save us, but also God's grace to provide us what we need in order to face temptation. It it may seem like a bit of a quandary or a bit of a paradox, but it isn't really. I mean, if we've been saved by God's grace, perhaps what we want to think is, well, then what I do doesn't matter anymore. But that's not really true. God actually cares very deeply about your life. What you do doesn't matter with regards to whether you're saved or not. But what you do certainly matters with regards to how God uses us here in this life to serve Him. And He wants us to grow. There are a few things that I think that we can do that would perhaps be beneficial and useful to the Christian as revealed in God's Word that would help us when we face various forms of temptation, various forms of testing, particularly temptation to sin, right? And a lot of these are pretty easy to understand. The first of those, of course, is what? To know God's Word, to read God's Word, to meditate on God's Word. You know so many of the famous verses about this. I've hidden your Word in my heart, what? That I might not sin against you. So the knowledge of God's Word and being able to recall God's Word. And as this passage in the book of James ultimately goes on to say, becoming a doer of His Word and not a hearer only, that becomes a strengthening factor in your life when temptation comes to be able to resist. As the book of James also goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. All of us should be carefully reading God's Word. All of us should be attempting to even memorize portions of God's Word. All of us should care about coming to know 
lots of, there's so much to learn from God's Word. There, there's, there's the history of, of how God dealt with people in the past. There's, there's all of the wisdom books. There's the books of the prophets, which we've been going through. These are all things that we all need to learn and we all need to know because the more we get to know God's Word, not only can we recall it in those moments of, of temptation, but the more you get to know God's Word, the more you get to know God. Just like I get to know any one of you more and more when I sit and I listen to you. And you get to know me better and better when you spend time with me, when you sit and you listen to me. And I don't just mean preaching, but like, like, like talking and any other human relationship you have. You know that if you want to get to know someone better, what do you do? You spend time with them and you listen to them. You know, or you wake up one day and you realize all I've done my whole life is just talked and focused on myself and I never listened to such and such and I don't even really know them. That's how you get to know someone. When you focus in on God's Word, when you're reading God's Word and you're listening to God's Word and you're memorizing God's Word and you learn to be able to recall God's Word and you love God's Word and you learn all of it, not just the parts of it you think are relevant for now or relevant for you. There is is no such uh, dichotomy or dividing line regarding any of that. We all ought to know all of it from cover to cover. And as you get to know it, you get to know Him. You get to know the source. You get to know God Himself. Do you think that provides strength when the hour of temptation comes? When the test comes? When it comes to enduring trials? Do you think it's useful to know God's Word? Do you think it's useful to know the Word, the wisdom, the instructions, the power, the mercy, the grace, the love? The practical guidance of the one who has the power to help you endure? The answer is yes. We all know the famous passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4. And I was going to turn there, but for time's sake, I won't, because you know it well already, right? What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Someone knows. The temptation of Jesus. Very good, right? And Jesus is tempted... Three times by the devil, it's recorded, when he's fasting in the wilderness. Now you talk about a temptation. Fast for 40 days and then be reminded, I have the power to turn these rocks into bread. And that's tempting, right? But God had called him to fast. God, his father, had not instructed him to turn stones into bread. And so there was a temptation there, right? And so Jesus faced the temptation by doing what? This is a lesson, yeah, this is a lesson you've heard a million times, not just from me. But it's useful to to go back and remember it, isn't it? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God, which is a quotation from the law. The law. Ooh. Jesus quoted the law in facing temptation, right? Because it was useful and because it was helpful, right? And a couple other ways. Even the devil quoted Scripture to him, right? When he put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself down because he has given his angels charge over you. They will not let you dash your foot against a stone, right? Which is a quotation from the Psalms. So the devil twisted and misapplied scripture in quoting it to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, responds, it is written. And he's tempted again when he's shown all the kingdoms of the world and Satan says, I'll give them all if you'll bow. No, it is written, it is written, it is written. Only the Lord your God you shall, shall worship and serve, right? So there is that... There is that practical usefulness of facing temptation with the knowledge of God's Word. 
And if we find ourselves, now look, here's what testing is supposed to do. Testing is not supposed to, listen, listen, listen. Testing is not supposed to cause us to say, I failed again, I failed again, I failed again. Boy, oh boy, I'm nothing, I'm useless, I'm never going to go, no, I'm not. No, testing is supposed to cause us to notice certain things and maybe apply a certain amount of prayer, a, 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 a more intense amount of prayer, a, a deeper humility, maybe more attention to things that will help us to grow. Like, like turning to God's Word more. If we're, if we're people that never read the Bible, and we're people that never study God's Word, and we're people that, that never recall God's Word, we don't love God's Word, we don't make time for God's Word, it's just this thing that I know is right, I, I try, struggle to listen through a sermon on Sunday morning, but that's my only exposure to God's Word ever. And you wonder why when the hour of temptation comes, there's never any strength, there's never any guidance, there's never any wisdom. It's because you haven't sought it. You understand that? And now that shouldn't cause you to say, woe is me, I am a failure. No, God is not against you. God is for you. He's for you. And he's, he allows things like this to be said to you to kind of shake you up and wake you up a little bit and realize that he's gracious and he loves you. And he has spiritual resources that are rich and powerful enough to pull down strongholds, the Bible says. Do you believe it? Avail yourself. Devote yourself to His Word. And of course, prayer. That goes without saying. I will come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. The book of Hebrews says. And you know, there's so many other passages of Scripture that I could turn to. But the idea of that passage in Hebrews was dealing with the hour of temptation. When the hour of temptation comes, turn to God. That's very much what James is talking about, right? He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials in the first part of the passage. And if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But ask in faith without doubting. Right? So turn to the Lord. Learn to turn to the Lord when temptation comes. Don't resign yourself to defeat. Turn to God. That's how we ought to endure temptation. Right? Again, we're not doing this because we're trying to earn eternal life. Rest, brothers and sisters. Rest. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is settled. That is done. You've received His grace when you believed and you are His child forevermore and the crown of life is promised to you. But as you walk through this life, know this. You are going to go through trials and you're going to face temptation. And you need to learn to go through them and face it right. There is a way. God's Word. Prayer. Here, you want... I, I made a third little point here of, of ways, ways that wisdom would dictate that we prepare ourselves for the temptation that we face. My mind went to uh, Psalm 101. I, I do want you to turn. Not a super familiar passage, maybe, but... I've read it to you before. Turn to Psalm 101. See if you can see what the psalmist is, is like calling for. A lot of the psalms, as you know, are a lot of the psalms are just songs of praise. They're prayers. 
There's different kinds of prayers in different situations. We're told that this is a psalm of David. And, you know, the, the Davidic psalms make up almost half of what's in the book of Psalms. And, you know, David's experiences in life are well recorded in, in some of the earlier history books in the Bible. But see if you can see what David is getting at as we read this short psalm. There's just eight verses. Listen to this. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of all those, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Right? And that's David speaking in the first person. He's speaking of himself and his authority as the king to do all these things. And the reason my mind went to this psalm, one of the more familiar ones to me, well, honestly, the first thing I was thinking of when thinking of various forms of temptation this verse that says in verse 2, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes, which is an incredible statement, isn't it? Right? Sometimes, one of the reasons why, listen carefully please, all of us, sometimes temptation may seem particularly oppressive because we become our own worst, worst enemies. And we allow ourselves to take in things, whether it's by looking at it or listening to it, exposing ourselves to it through various forms of media or even just various relationships or whatever, we put things right in front of our eyes that speed us into the place of temptation. And as I said, we become our own worst enemies. Right? What David is talking about in this song is he's, he's obviously writing from the perspective of one who is zealous for holiness in his life, right? So that's what it is. It's a song of praise to God that basically starts off by announcing, to you, O Lord, I will sing praises, right? Uh, I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And then he kind of launches off in this song into a list of various things that he will do in his life to set himself in that place. Now look, I know that God is sovereign and God is powerful and without Him we can do nothing. But here you see an example of a person saying to God, I'm going to put myself, Lord, in that place where I'm, 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 I'm sanct, as the New Testament says, I'm sanctifying God in my heart. I'm setting Him apart. And this is one of those things that like, we're talking about enduring temptation, Right? 
I mean, we need to be doing this on a regular basis or we're sinking ourselves. Do you understand? God wants us to grow. God wants us to learn. Take the wisdom that's here. He says, I'll behave wisely in a perfect way. Uh, He says, I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart. How do you live your life when you're alone and you're home or you're among your family? How do you live? What do you allow? What do you listen to? What is permitted? What do you allow in yourself? You have, look guys, as Christians, when it comes to this issue of faithfulness and holiness, we have some influence in how our own life goes. Existence is not entirely about decreed fate. It's not a fatalistic existence where you're just a pawn on a chessboard. David speaks here of making some decisions for himself. I'm not going to set this before my eyes. When I'm walking in my house, I'm going to walk with a perfect heart, right? Uh, he goes on to say, he who secretly destroys, uh, slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. I'm not going to involve myself with that. The haughty look and the proud heart, I'm not going to walk that way. My eyes, verse 6, shall be on the faithful of the land. That's the king, David, talking about his nation, right? I'm not going to like, I'm not going to get myself all wrapped up in all of the wickedness I'm going to associate with. That's what he's talking about. I, my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me, right? He who works deceit, nope. He who tells lies, nope. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now this is David speaking of himself, but you can certainly see that this is something that God, in a prophetic sense, ultimately is going to do to the whole world. Right? So there's that element as well, that God, David, speaking, as he often does, for himself, but the son of David, the Messiah, will come again one day and enact all of these things in a worldwide kind of way. Right? when he sits on David's throne for a thousand years. And so, what you and I need to do, though, is see in the psalm that David had a zeal for holiness and did something. Now, does that mean David doesn't face temptation? I mean, hello, we know, we know that David faced temptation, right? And we know the account of David and Bathsheba, and we know that David fell. And we know of Psalm 51, which I won't read right now, but Psalm 51, that great psalm of repentance, where David repents over the sin that he had committed. So even David, with all of his zeal for God's holiness, still had a vulnerability to temptation. David was tempted, just as you and I are tempted. What is my point? There's nothing you can do that's going to make temptation never happen. Right? But there are some things that in wisdom we ought to do. Right? Like like in Romans 13. Yeah, I wasn't planning on turning here, but let me just read this for you. In Romans 13... Uh, Romans 13, 11, if you want to follow along. If you want to just listen, that's fine. It says, it says, and do this knowing the time that it is now time to awake out of sleep. And the, the doing this meant loving your neighbor and, and, and walking in love. He says, because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Listen to this. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. 
Light in biblical literature is always symbolic of knowledge and goodness. David says, cast off, not David, Paul. Paul says, I switched too quick from Psalms to Romans. Paul writes here, to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of white light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Right? So again, we're talking about how temptation to sin is always going to be this common part of our lives. But if we're going to endure temptation to sin, there are some things that we ought to do in wisdom to be ready for that as Christians. And here what you see is, look, examine how you live. Examine how you walk. As Haggai asked the Jews in his day, consider your ways. Think of how it is you're walking and how it is that you're living. See the result of it. If I'm constantly under this oppression of temptation and feel like I'm, I'm so burdened by it, there's no chance, no strength. Look, don't stop trusting in God's grace. God never withholds His grace. God does not stop His grace. His grace, when we sin more, His, His grace abounds even more. All of that is true. This is not a, a message to doubt that one is a Christian. We're not Christians because we don't sin anymore. More, you know that's true, right? If you haven't found that out yet, I'm sure you will pretty soon, right? And, and that's that happens to be the truth. But as Christians, as a Christian, I don't want to sin. I don't want to neglect God's holiness. I don't want to live a life that's just constantly temptation, temptation, lose, lose, overcome, 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 overcome. No, I ought to look at my life, and you ought to look at your life, and what is it that you make provision for in your life? Are there things you can do in your own life? It's just some practical wisdom. Now, go back to James. I think you get the idea there. Go back to James. So in James 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has approved, then approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to those who love Him. Now, in these next couple of verses, there's a couple of important statements about God and a couple of important statements about us that ought to instruct and encourage us. Verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. There might be an inclination to do that. God, why are you doing this to me? When it comes to temptation... He goes on to say, no, that's not, that's not where temptation comes from. Temptation comes from within ourselves, from within our own desires, he says. So when I'm tempted, I should not say it's God that's tempting me. What's it say here about God? It says that God himself, number one, cannot be tempted by evil. That's good to know, isn't it? That we worship and serve and trust and depend upon a God who is not tempted to do evil. That's wonderful, isn't it? God himself is on our side in this matter. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Right? Jesus did not die for our sins so that God the Father now can throw all these stumbling blocks in front of us. That's not in anyone's wise plan for anything. 
So what we're told here about God is that God himself is not tempted by evil and God himself does not tempt anyone. Right? So that's the first thing you need to know about God. God, listen, here it is, can be completely trusted when it comes to this issue of good and evil, holiness, strength, guidance. God is for you who love him and have a desire to honor him with your life. All right? You can pray to him. You can ask him for strength. You can meditate on his word, trusting fully that he will not fail you. Furthermore, even when you feel that I've failed, and we all feel that, and I failed again, and I'm so afraid that I'm going to fail again, how else can I trust him? I can trust his grace. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. What was finished? His suffering that day? Yes. But not just his suffering that day. The whole redemptive plan of God to make a way for sinners to be justified before him. And so as I go through my life facing trials and facing temptation, I don't do it with the fear that God is going to cast me off and throw me into hell because I'm just not good enough. I believe the gospel. I hope my faith in Christ. I trust in Him. I believe in the goodness of God and everything I did, but no matter how long I live, no matter how long I walk, I see that I'm just not good enough. I must not really be saved. Those are not thoughts that should ever come to the Christian. Because God is gracious and God is good. And God is... And so I, because He Himself is not a tempter and He Himself is not tempted, I can fully trust Him that He is for me and He is with me. And I put my faith in Him and His grace will always succeed in conquering all sin. Good to know about God, isn't it? So now where does temptation and sin come from then? See, now here, James says something about God, but now James says something about us. What does he say next? But each one, verse 14 says, is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And the key words there are drawn away. And, and that, look, you need to know that, you need to know that when you got saved, when you were born again, and you became a child of God, there is this need and there is this desire for you, listen, for you to stay right where you are. For you to stay there before Him. It, we're called when we get saved not to something that's entirely finished. The dealing with my sin for all eternity, that's done. But there is, this, there is this small matter of the rest of my life here. Right? That life is to be walked in communion with Him. That life is to be walked in closeness with Him. And there are things within myself that can draw me away. And that's where temptation arises. 
It doesn't come from God. It comes from within me. And you see that there's a progression here that's described. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That's why you go back to some of the things I was saying before about maybe like examining and structuring your life in such a way that you're walking so closely with God. Not that these things don't come up, but when they do, you have the right strength to be able to deal with it, right? Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And you see the illustration there is like that of, of, of a child being conceived in the womb and then born and then living its life and dying. And there's this, there's this progression, and that's how sin and temptation come about. It starts within us, just like the life of a new person starts within its mother, right? It starts within us, and we get drawn away. But it's in those moments of temptation where the drawing away, right? I mean, once the drawing away comes and it conceives, then it gives birth to sin, and all sin leads to what? Death. Just like every woman who's pregnant is eventually going to have a baby, and eventually that person is going to grow up and die. Right? That's the normal, norm, the exceptions to the rule, maybe the normal course of life is being used as an illustration. That's how it is with sin. So it's not God who tempts us, but we have these things within us. That's why we need the glory in His grace and trust in His grace, but it's also why we need to stay close to Him. Later on in this very book, it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Look, the bottom line is this. You want to, I mean, I, I use lots of words and I talk for a long time and I know all this. The bottom line is this. If you're in Christ, you've got to walk closely with God. And you can't let your life degrade into just that my relationship with God has its place in my life, but otherwise I'm just living a normal life like everybody else around me. In modern Christianity, sometimes that's even described as estimable. I mean, I, like, like the goal, you know, Christians, we're not crazy. We're just like everybody else. We just, we just love God. That, that's not a proper definition of Christianity. The Christian is someone whose life is entirely wrapped up in God and is consumed in Jesus Christ, right? We walk with Him. We're thinking of Him. We're carrying Him in our hearts. He lives within us. As I said earlier in the opening prayer in the service, Jesus said, we will come and make our home in you. Really? We're no different than everyone around us? God lives in me. God lives in us. And we're called to be filled with His Spirit. And we're called to not quench the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit. Right? And so, what we want to do is we want to walk closely with God so that enduring temptation is something that can, that can happen. Right? We know that all sin leads to death. But we also know what? That that penalty of death was paid by someone else for us. Now, don't you want to walk closely with Him? That's how you walk through a life full of trials and temptation. Closely with God. The passage goes on to say two more important things then. One about God and one about us. It does that twice. I mean, the gauntlet is thrown down in verse 12 when we're told, blessed is the man who endures temptation. 
Then we're told something about God, that God is not tempted and he doesn't tempt anyone else. Then we're told something about ourselves. That's where sin comes from. That's where temptation has its strength, is when we're drawn away. I don't want to be drawn away. You're vulnerable to be drawn away if you don't walk closely to begin with. That's the point, right? You've got to walk closely with God so you're less vulnerable to be drawn away, right? But then the rest of the passage here goes on and it says another important thing about God and another important thing about us. Now look, you can be inclined sometimes even to be a little despondent or angry about all of this. If God saved me, why does he allow this? I understand that. I can feel some of that sometimes too when it comes to like temptation or trials or things like that. But here comes the message, the response to that, verse 16. Don't be deceived. All right? Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Let me remind you who God is. Ready? Here it comes. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Don't, even in temptation, even in trials, even in the hardest moments of life, never forget that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now, listen to this description from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Right? When we speak of above in the natural, I I don't know that he's talking about heaven here. He's talking about how God has created everything you can see above you. He's talking about God has created the sun and the moon and the stars. This is why the, the hymn writer Great is thy faithfulness. Picked it up in that verse. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness. Why the, the chorus goes on to say there's no shadow of turning with him, right? Because the idea is this. God created the sun which rises and, and God created the moon which has its phases and rises. And God created all the stars. And our perspective from planet earth is that the sun rises and it casts a shadow and as the earth revolves all the stars seem to turn all over the place and you'll be outside at the picnic today and you'll notice that early in the day the sun is up here and later in the day the sun will be over there and it's casting all these different shadows everywhere and the sun is with the moon has different phases everything's constantly changing the father of lights has created all these lights in the sky and they always seem to be moving changing casting different shadows shadows everywhere. God made all that, but you know what? God himself is not like that. That's the point. God doesn't change. God doesn't move. God created all these things that from our perception seem to move and shift. Well, there's one thing that doesn't move or shift, and that's God. Great is thy faithfulness, which is where the the hymn writer lands with that famous hymn, right? You can see where the words, where the word, how this becomes like an inspiration for at least part of that. So don't be deceived. See, because when we're struggling and we're going through a hard time, 
when we're going through a trial, when we're battling temptation, the inclination might be to think, God forgot me. God changed his mind. No. No. There's no variation with God. There's no shadow of turning with God. God never changes. God never moves, even if it seems like everything he made does. The reason you battle temptation, testing, struggles, trials, is not because God has changed. It's because God wants to change you. God wants you to grow through the hardship. And you can trust Him. Every good gift, every good and perfect thing that you have in your life has come to you from Him. And listen, brothers and sisters, He has more for you than you have even taken the time to try to comprehend. The beginning of this passage talks about once you go through the proving ground that this life is, He has a crown of life for you. That is, He is going to crown your existence with everlasting life. God hasn't forgotten us. God's, God's going to deliver on all of His promises. He allows you to go through trials because He wants you to grow. And trials are what make us grow. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Here's a great reminder in verse 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. I love the phrase at the beginning of that. Of His own will, He brought us forth. It's a reminder that you're saved because it gave God good pleasure to save you. You're saved and you're in Christ because God desired to open your heart. God empowered you to believe. God moved on your heart. God quickened your soul and brought you to life. God granted you understanding. You are saved by grace through faith and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith itself is a gift from God. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. Even your faith has been given to you by God. And of His own will, He brought you forth, the Scripture says, by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits from His creature. So remember that. As you're going through the hour of temptation, as you're going through the hour of trial, remember, God has not changed. God has not forgotten you. God is still there. God wants you to grow. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. He doesn't change. He doesn't move. You are His child because it gives Him pleasure that that is so. He loves you, and He is for you. And yes, He will permit you to go through some hard things, but what He is going to bring you through and what He is going to crown you with at the end is going to make you forget all of the difficulties and the struggles of all the things that we go through in this temporary fallen life. Keep your mind fixed on that. Fixed on that. That we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. 
What are God's creatures? Pretty much everything, right? What are the first fruits of a harvest? Right? It's when the farmer takes the best, the best, and brings it as an offering, right? Brings it from the field and brings it to the altar. The first fruits in worship. He says that, James says that, and you know, every Jewish reader reading that would have immediately understood that context. God has made us that by his own will. God has made us a first fruits of his creation. Not any credit to us, but because of his grace. You know, I said this last week and I'll say it again this week. Sometimes I think the highest purpose of trials, troubles, even temptation to sin, I'll say it. Sometimes I think the highest purpose of it all is just to cause us to utterly, completely cling to His grace. Because if our struggles do nothing else, they remind us of this. I don't have this figured out and all together as much as I thought I did. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. There is nothing good that I can do apart from Him. Without Him, I can do nothing. Every time I think I'm something, God is very able to easily somehow allow something to remind me that I'm nothing. And this is what He wants us to do. Don't be deceived. That's how this whole starts. Don't be deceived. Because that's what happens. Is the devil, the devil will deceive you. Into, oh, maybe you're not even really a Christian. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, trusting in Him, you're humble before Him, and you've put your faith in Christ, you are a Christian. A Christian, the fact that Christ is in your life will manifest itself in certain ways in your conduct and the way you do things. Yes, absolutely. But those aren't the things that make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been saved by His grace. And sometimes these hardships and these trials and temptations, they remind us of that. They remind us that everything that I have, obviously, I think things are going well, and suddenly I'm reminded, you know what? All I have is Him. Yes? Yes? Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. That is to say, God raised us up. God gave birth to us. God delivered us by the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel. The preaching of the gospel. That's how God, according to His will, according to His wisdom, had the gospel preached to you, granted to you that you would believe, and now has raised you up as a kind of first fruits from all of His creatures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that God has done that for us. Then one more thing about ourselves. And, and verse 19, really, this so then, my beloved brethren, it's not just a conclusion to the passage I'm reading today. I believe this is a conclusion to all of what we've read in chapter 1 the last two weeks. Verses 1 through 18, they all culminate with these next statements. 
So then, my beloved brethren, right? So what you see about God is that don't be deceived. He's not forgotten you. He doesn't not, he, he knows what he's doing. He remembers you. He's teaching you. He's training you. He's with you. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from him. Now here's you. Here's how you ought to respond in the trial. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be basically the opposite of what all of us are inclined to be. Let every man be basically what is the opposite of what we're inclined to be when trouble comes. Especially when trouble comes. Men are like that. People are like that. Women are like that. Children are like that. The elderly are like that. Everybody is like that. When trouble comes, we don't want to listen. When trouble comes, we want to dig and scratch and fight and do whatever we want. We think we need to do to dig ourselves out. God says is what? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be what? Swift to hear. He's training us. You see? He's training us to be what we're not naturally inclined to be. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Now look at this last statement. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And don't you know that that's what God wants to produce in you is His righteousness. But it is not your wrath. It is not your anger. It is not your frustration. It is not your impatience. It is not your lashing out. It is not your despondency. It is not your sense of just trying to figure everything out on your own. It is not your sense of self-reliance that produces what God determines is right. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Because we don't depend upon ourselves. We depend upon the one from whom every good and perfect gift comes. In the hour of trial, in the hour, listen, listen, listen. This should be freeing. I don't don't know, maybe I don't see it right. This should be freeing and liberating. In the hour of trial, in the hour of temptation, quiet down. Quiet down. Turn to God. Turn to Him in humility. You know, James goes on later in the book to quote from Proverbs chapter 3 that God resists the proud but gives His grace to the humble. Quiet yourself. Humble yourself. Turn to God for wisdom. Turn to God for strength. Believe when you turn to Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Learn to trust. Learn to quietly and humbly trust Him who is able to deliver you. He has promised you already that when you come through it, when you are approved, when you, and our approval is not in ourselves, our approval is in Christ. When you come through this life, He's promised you the crown of life. Settle down. Pray. Be spiritual. Trust in Him. Cry out to Him. Find His strength. He is for you. He is with you. He lives in you. In Christ. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God's not the tempter. He himself is not tempted. You can trust him fully. The the yielding to temptation comes because of lusts and desires that are inside us, and so we ought to take some care about how we structure our lives, make some decisions about what you allow, what you look at, what you listen to, who you listen to, who you hang on. Make some decisions about that. But still know that we don't accomplish anything good on our own strength. Don't be tricked into thinking that God is not with you. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Never changes. Never moves. Never has stopped loving you for a moment. Never has stopped loving you for a moment. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Quiet down. Be patient. Wait on Him. Trust in Him. Stay humble before Him. And let God do the work in you that He wants to do to raise you up. Let's stand up and sing the last hymn here together.